Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, morning to you. Hey, as you may have heard, we are moving our services back inside where it's actually warmer uh, in 14 days. That's on uh, September 27th. So we're going to be out here one more time next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to be uh, inside, which we're really excited for because as you know, it's a great environment. It's a great environment for worship. It's a great environment uh, for, for teaching. And we're going to be offering children's ministry again, which is amazing. And so a couple notes on that. We're going to be offering using the four largest pods in the school when we go inside. These pods, many of you have seen them. Uh, it's like the green and the blue and then the green and the blue upstairs. They're two to three times larger than a typical classroom that your elementary age kid might be in, you know, Monday through Friday where there's 10 kids and a teacher. So we're going to cap the rooms at 12 kids in each pod. Uh, for those of you in the gym, we're going to be social distancing. And so you'll be seated six feet away from anyone who's not in your household. And then there'll be an attendance cap in the gym too. We're not just going to jam people in there. It's going to be way, way smaller than what we would typically throw in there. And then if we need it, there'll be an overflow room in the cafeteria where the service will be streamed in there. And then the cafeteria is also going to serve as a family viewing area. We just Bottom line is we just really want your kids to come and worship with you on a, a Sunday morning. So if you want to come, you want to bring your kids, but you maybe don't feel quite comfortable yet dropping them off in Renovation Kids, uh, you can bring them to the family uh, worship area as well, where there's just going to be sort of a no-shush policy if you catch my drift. Okay. Uh, masks are required at our indoor services because that's, that's a state requirement for any indoor public space at this point. So we're going to be doing masks the whole time. You can't just come in and sit down and take it off when you sit down. It's masks the whole 60 minutes that you're inside. Even our drummer and guitar players are going to be wearing masks during the service. The only people who aren't going to be wearing masks are the people who are either singing or speaking on stage when they're singing or speaking. But listen, I, I think it's going to be great. I mean, I know I just listed like a bunch of rules and some things that are going to be uh, different, but I, I don't think that takes away from the many, many, many benefits of what's going to happen in a couple of weeks. And I can't encourage you enough to just be there when we move inside. Again, if you are vulnerable, uh, if you have, you're sick that Sunday or you have virus uh, concerns, you're still going to be able to watch from home live on a Sunday morning. We're going to continue to do that for the time being. But for everybody else, uh, it's going to be worth your time. I mean, listen, the reality is, maybe you talk about this with your friends a lot, 90% of us are out and about every day at this point, right? You, you go to stores, you wear a mask, you go to a friend's house or the dentist, uh, to school, to work. We're sort of used to wearing masks and going about our normal weekly routines at this point. And I'll just tell you, church on Sunday morning is an essential part of your routine. Now, I, I would argue the most essential part. So please make plans to sort of keep coming. Uh, for those of you that have been coming uh, so often this summer, hasn't this just been a blessing to do this again? It's just so good. It's good to be with your church family. It's to worship again, to hear God's word, just to talk to your friends afterwards. It's just uh, keep, keep up with it as we get into the fall. Uh, and I want to say this. If you are vulnerable, if you're uncomfortable with uh, coming in person, I just, and you're watching online right now, I just want to tell you that we love you we appreciate you. Uh, we, we understand. And I just, I, I know that we will, this is not going to go on forever and that we will be together again. And I am excited for you that even as our house group start, that you'll have some interaction too, which I think will be really, really good. 
Uh, and then uh, really, really quickly, I do want to say this. A number of you asked me about this uh, during the week. Uh, last week, we talked about how we currently at that time didn't have enough volunteers to get inside two weeks from now. Uh, we did get enough volunteers to go inside and start two services. So thank you for that. Honestly, it's tight, but there were a lot of people who said, I'll serve more. And there were a ton of you after last Sunday that said, you know what? I had blocked out my dates, but I can do it. And that, I just want you to know that that made such a big difference. And so we're going inside in two weeks. It's going to be good. Okay. All right. And warmer. Okay. Let's get into the message. Uh, We are in week three of this disrupted series where we've been talking about how different parts of our lives have been disrupted by uh, the virus. And today, I want to talk in particular about how our relationships, our, our friendships have been disrupted, and even our relationships with our family members by this virus. You know, many of us, if you think back to January or February, we were still getting together, hanging out with people, hanging out with our friends and our family. But back when March hit, the normalcy of seeing friends and family was all disrupted. And for many of us, we just basically at that point completely stopped getting together with anyone. And maybe since then, you've begun to sort of re-engage some of those relationships and friendships at your own pace. But for most of us, it's still maybe not back where it used to be, or even how you engage that is sort of an awkward dance, right? I mean, not only have our friendships been disrupted, but I think the conversations about being friends, about getting together have become more difficult. So for example, let's say you're trying to get four friends together to hang out uh, next weekend, right? If you're like me, I think this is for a lot of us, this is what our four friends look like. So if you have four friends, you might have one of them that is really, really, really concerned about the virus. You have two that are sort of in the middle, right? They're taking it seriously, but they maybe want to get together. They want to see you. And then your fourth friend uh, licks doorknobs just to prove how unconcerned they are. And I'm like, do you have friends like this, right? And that's kind of the, the mix of the spectrum of your friends. It was like, how are you supposed to get together with those four people? It's just, I just think relationships are hard right now. And it's not just our friendships. For a lot of us, our families are even more complicated. Like maybe you want to get together with your parents, but they're concerned or they're vulnerable and maybe rightfully so they're concerned, right? And so they don't want to get together. But that's, that's difficult. Or actually, I feel like ironically, I've heard the opposite scenario even more where the grandparents want to get together with their adult children and their grandchildren, but the adult children don't want to get together with the grandparents because they're worried about the grandparents and there's this t- aren't relationships just hard right now? I think all of us probably have one friendship or one family relationship where it's just kind of tricky. How do you navigate all of this? So we just need to go to God's word. We don't need another blog. We don't need to go to social media, right? I've been saying almost every week, right? It's not, we're not going to find our truth in the media or, or in social media or in politics. We've got to find our foundation in God's word. So if you would, would you uh, open up the Renovation Church app? You can tap on outdoor services and weekly verses. Uh, And today we're going to look at uh, what I believe is one of the greatest friendships in the Bible. And that is the story of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. A little background for you, if you're not as familiar with this story in the Old Testament. uh, David, who is known basically by everybody, even if you've never really read much of the Bible, because you might know him from his victory over the nine foot tall Goliath, right? And that's in 1 Samuel chapter 17 in the Bible. 
But if you read through the book of 1 Samuel, which, uh, by the way, we actually taught through as one of our books in 2015. If you want to go uh, back on our website and uh, find that, David was actually anointed as the future king of Israel in the chapter before David and Goliath, even though there actually was already a king, King Saul, but Saul had started to drift away from the Lord at that point. And so David defeats Goliath in this famous battle. And then after it, David starts to become really famous, much to the chagrin of King Saul, the present king. And so Saul starts to just be insanely jealous of David. And then meanwhile, fascinatingly, David develops this really deep friendship with all people, with of all people, King Saul's son, Jonathan. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at three marks of friendship that we can learn from David and Jonathan's friendship in the Bible, uh, who, by the way, had many disruptions and difficulties to their friendship. So this is a lot we can pull out of here for 2020. So we are in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 18, and I'm going to start right at, right at verse 1. It says this, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Okay, so the first, if you're taking notes in the app or somewhere, the the first mark of friendship uh, that I want you to see from this is they had a friendship covenant. They had a friendship covenant. Now, we, we actually don't use that word covenant all that often in just casual conversational English anymore, but it's actually one of the most important words in the Bible. A covenant is a sacred bond between two people. We sometimes talk about the marriage covenant as Christians. That's maybe where you've heard that word uh, before. So when Christians get married, they make a covenant that they will never leave each other, right? This is right in the wedding ceremony, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. Even if things get really difficult, we made a covenant together that we will always be bonded together as one flesh. And we do that because Jesus has made a covenant with us when we become a Christian that he will never leave us. And that's what Jonathan and David are doing, but they're doing this as friends. This is really cool. They're saying, we're best friends. In fact, we are such great friends that we are going to be bonded together. We will always be friends through thick and thin, no matter what happens. And that's what true deep friendship should look like. Unfortunately, I think as Americans, as so many of us today are more likely to have transactional friendships than we are covenantal friendships. Like you think about your friends, like we have, we have friends who we watch sports with. Uh, we have friends that you maybe trade off watching kids with, or maybe you're in a group with, some group that benefits you. Or even think about a lot of your neighbors. It's like you're friends with your neighbors, but you're kind of friends because that friendship benefits you in some sort of capacity. But like if those friends, many of our friends, if, they, if it was to go wrongly, if they were to hurt you or you were to hurt them or things got messed up in some way, a lot of us, we would just walk away from that friendship because it's just a transactional friendship. But we need some friends that are covenantal friends, that are friends to the end. And honestly, you probably don't need five of those friends. You might just need even one of those friends. 
Do you have a friend like that? Like David and Jonathan, that they would just be with you. They would stick by you no matter what. If you don't, I want, I want you to just begin just praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, would you, would you bring that into my life? Would you help me? So look at, look at this disruption that you're going to see here in Scripture, this challenge that eventually happens to David and Jonathan's friendship. So look ahead, just this one chapter now, to chapter 19. So this is 1 Samuel 19. It says this. It says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. So Saul's jealousy has gotten out of control at this point. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul and his father and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine, that's Goliath. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? And Saul listened to Jonathan, his son, and took this oath, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. And that's, if you read in the Bible, that's an oath that Saul kept for about six minutes or something like that, right? This is just intense. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, think of your best friend. Yeah, now imagine that your best friend's father is out to get you. Right? That's the scenario that David and Jonathan are living in. And Jonathan knows that his father Saul is not really following the Lord anymore, and he's got this friendship covenant with David. And so he's just saying nothing's going to get in between us. I mean, is that true of you and your friends? Do you have a friend like that? Or, or have you let this virus maybe even get in between you? Or even politics get in between you? You know, speaking of, I've heard, and maybe you've heard this too, I've heard from multiple people the same story just in the last few weeks where they've basically said, hey, I've got a friend in my friendship group and they've now actually stopped talking to each other. They've been friends for 10 years or 15 years and they've stopped talking to each other because of their political beliefs. They've let something come in between their friendship. Or think about families. Families. I mean, listen, our bonds as family members should be really thick, right? There should be this covenant. Like a lot of our friends are seasonal. You have high school friends, you kind of have college friends. They sort of come and go a little bit, but your family is basically going to be with you to the end. And I would say, even to your family, don't let this virus or this current political climate, don't let anything come in between you and your family. You know, one of the things that I think really marks us as Christians is the New Testament speaks so often about reconciliation, about forgiveness when there are wrongs. And I would just ask you, is there somebody in your life that you just need to go to today? You need to call them up or whatever and just ask for forgiveness and say, hey, I've just been letting this thing come in between our relationship and it's not worth it. And I'm just asking, will you forgive me? Is there somebody you need to do that to? All right, let's take a look at the second mark of friendship that we need to learn from. The first was, number one, they had a friendship covenant. And the second is this, they put the other above themselves. They put their friend above themselves. This is so important in our culture right now. In fact, I I preached on this a month ago. As Christians, it is 
paramount that we are living out Philippians chapter 2. That is to consider others more important than yourself because that's what Jesus did for us. That's our example. Now look how Jonathan does this for David. This is actually remarkable. So if you go back to chapter 18 now, And you look at verse four, there's something that you might've even just sort of skipped over if you read this the first time, but this is fascinating. I'm going to read verse four to you again. It says, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. So what's he doing here? Now, if you're not familiar with some of the symbolism, you might go, oh, neat. He's sharing his sword, right? But it's so much deeper than this. You know, I think sometimes that we forget we forget something really important about Jonathan. Who is Jonathan? He's the king's son. Who's the king's son? He's the prince. Who is supposed to be the next king? Jonathan. Jonathan is supposed to be king, not David. I mean, if there's anybody that Jonathan should dislike, it's probably David. And yet he gives David his robe and his armor, and he's symbolizing that he is okay with, in fact, he wants David, his friend, to be the next king. In those days, giving your sword to someone was a a sign of submission to one who's greater. If you think about ancient times, how were kings recognized? They were recognized by their royal robes. And so Jonathan is taking off his princely robes, giving them to David, saying, I recognize, in fact, I want you, my friend, to be the next king. Now, Saul, his dad, is insanely upset about this. Right, because he wants his family line to continue to be his son to be king and his grandson to be king and his great-grandson to be king. So Jonathan continues to defend David. Now watch how mad Saul is. So if you jump ahead again, we're kind of staying in a couple chapters here. Now we're in chapter 20. I'm going to read to you 31 to 32. This is Saul talking angrily to his son Jonathan after he hears about this. He says this. So this is Saul talking. He says, as long as the son of Jesse, that's David, So as long as David lives on this earth, neither you, Jonathan, nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. So much about that oath, (laughs) not harming him. And then Jonathan says this, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. This is such a beautiful mark of friendship. It is to put your friend above yourself. I want you to think about your friends. Are you doing that? Where is it in your life that you're putting your needs, maybe your preferences, your opinions above your friends? Look at the inconvenience of Jonathan, the humility of Jonathan as a friend. He's supposed to be the king. Jonathan valued relationships even above royalty. And you know why Jonathan does this? He does this because as the scripture says, he loved David as himself. Now that's kind of strange wording. We read that and like, wow, he loved David as himself. It's, it's just rephrasing what is the foundational principle of friendship of the Old Testament, of the whole Bible. You know what Jesus says is the second greatest commandment? The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. What's the second? Second is to love your neighbor. Then what does it say? As yourself. That's all it's saying. It says he's, it's literally rephrasing the greatest commandment of friendship to love your neighbor as yourself. He loved Jonathan as himself. And let me get here quickly to the third mark of friendship. And we can find this in a chapter 23 of 1 Samuel. 
David's now on the run. He's hiding from this angry King Saul. And then Jonathan sneaks out to go strengthen his friend's faith. So this is now chapter 23 of 1 Samuel at verse 15. It says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. That's just amazing. Even my father Saul knows this. This is the third mark of friendship I want you to see, is that they strengthened each other in hard times. They strengthened each other in hard times. Right? This, is what our, this is what we need friends for. I mean, life's been hard for a lot of us lately. We just need friends who will strengthen us in God in hard times. You know, by the way, I think this is one of the great things about our house groups, which are starting in just two weeks. A sign-up start today to the Connect tab of our app. They give you a community of friends that will serve you and love you, support you, be with you in hard times, as well as people that God wants to use you to love and support and encourage. You know, I would say as a pastor of this church that it is more important for you to sign up for a house group this year than maybe ever before in our church's history. We are isolated. We are hurting We need each other this year. You know, for those of you who have been in a house group before, you need each other. You need to strengthen each other in God, like Jonathan and David did. And I encourage you to come together again. Put aside your differences or your preferences on how you think it should work and love and encourage one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds, as the writer of Hebrews said. For those of you that never signed up for a house group, I encourage you, sign up for one. Find a community of people that can strengthen you in God and support you. You know, in our house groups, I think back even in the last year, there's so much of this that happened, right? There were a number in a church like this. There's a, a new baby is born uh, a couple times a day. And um, so that's not true, but it's close to being true. And so there's just so much support that happens with people who bring support. They bring meals, all of these things. And, you know, we see it even on the other side. But you know what one of the most interesting statistical anomalies of Renovation Church is? And even though we're a church of five, 600 people, in 10 years, the very first 10 years of this church, I never officiated a funeral for a single person from this church. But over this winter and spring, uh, I had to do three. But I'll tell you, funerals are, are difficult. But one of the most powerful things for me, especially pre-virus, was watching at the funeral as house group member after house group member after house group member came into the funeral just to love and support their people during tough times. And not only in that day, but in the days to come. There's just so much support that happens. I, you know, House Group provides you a space to make bonds because none of us have any idea when we're going to need friends the most. And listen, it's not something that happens overnight. There was a woman from our church who just wrote in in the last couple of weeks, and she said this. She said, I'll just quote her. She said, I can honestly say that my husband and I have met some of our closest and dearest friends through house groups. And that never would have happened if we didn't join. And then she says this. She says, but it does take time and it takes effort. And, and let me say one more thing on this. Because I think sometimes as a church, we, we, we make almost community an idol. Right? The end goal of getting in a house group isn't community and support. Now, that's a, that's a benefit of it. 
But the end goal is to get with other people who will spur you on to grow in your faith. And notice that's what Jonathan David about. He doesn't go to, to David just to support him. He goes to help strengthen him in God. That's the key. We just need friends. And so I just encourage you more than ever to sign up to be in a house group this year. And just in a couple of minutes, you'll get details on how to do that and what it'll look like and all of that. But when we live out this Christian friendship, we emulate Christ. I mean, David was saved through Jonathan's sacrificial friendship, just as we are saved through the sacrificial friendship of Christ. And so be in a group, befriend one another, not just for your own sake, but to sacrifice for theirs. That's the way of Christ. Let me pray. Lord, I, uh, I just pray for our church right now that you would lead us uh, into community once again this fall. God, we need it. We need it this year, uh, maybe more than we ever have in 10 years. Uh, may we come together, Lord, and may, may there just be a blessing on that. We just thank you for your son who sacrificed for us and gave us that model. In your name we pray. Amen.